What up, what up, listeners? Welcome to Rice, Asian comedy podcast, where we share the Asian perspective on entertainment, culture, and trending topics. Um, today's, uh, today's show, we are going to cover um, one country, two systems, which is usually applied to... Um, which usually is is applied to describing China, but it can also be applied right now to the racial injustice happening in the U.S. So we will be covering both those topics, both police brutality in the U.S. and also the 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 potential fall or failings of democracy and what it's like to be policed in a communist society. I am your host, uh, Vong Sho, official spokesperson for Gay Super Cute Asians. I'm Sebastian David Chow. I'm a writer and comedian. I'm Leonard Chan, also a writer and comedian. I am Jennifer Shung, a mother, comedian, and actress. Um, okay, so let's jump into our very first topic. It's the topic that everybody's talking about, which is defunding the police. And before we jump into exactly what that means, whether we agree with it, whether we disagree with it, let's give our listeners a little bit of background about our own experiences with police and how that might color our opinions. So let's first go to Sebastian, who has lived both in the U.S. and Canada, and maybe can give us a perspective of how policing is different in the two countries. Uh, so... In my experience, the police are people who introduce a gun to the situation <laughs> and they escalate the they escalate the stakes of the situation. Because even if they, they don't draw a gun, it, the gun is there. And now there's a possibility that something could happen and someone could get shot by the police just because they're there. And people are reluctant to call the police uh, as a result. All, obviously, not even counting like the discrimination that police uh on uh do undertake yeah uh, and they're they're I don't, it's it's scary to see a policeman sometimes uh because uh you, like you they get things wrong sometimes and you could be you could be, you could be framed oh you could be framed that happens like a lot actually like, <laughs> it's, it's 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 a problem the police uh, and in terms of defunding them, like just off the bat, my attitude is they need to be trimmed severely. Okay. And I'll, I'll save going into it further for the for the later topic. But that's that's my attitude. And in America and Canadian police, I haven't really noticed that much of a difference. Oh, really? Oh, that's, well, that's, that's interesting. I haven't really explored the depths of the about Canadian that. police system, but. Uh, I don't know. They they have similar capabilities. Okay. You know? Well, you know, we'll, we'll definitely jump into that more. Um, so it, it, it's kind of funny. So for our listeners, Sebastian actually grew up um, in the surrounding Detroit area. And I grew up in Winnipeg, which is also known as the Detroit of Canada. Um, it is the murder capital of Canada, the violent crime capital. There's 3.5 times the incarceration rate in Winnipeg versus Toronto. And, you know, I, I can't say that I know what it's like to be policed in the U.S. Um, in, in that system. 
But one thing I can relate to for sure is distrust of the police. So my neighborhood was called Murder Lane um, unofficially. It's the most murders per capita of a single block anywhere in um, anywhere in Canada. Or I should say I live two blocks away from Murder Lane. But basically, it was in the general vicinity. And so we we didn't call police. Like, police to us were an occupying force. They were there to... Um, put us in jail or, you know, they, they certainly were not there to serve and protect us. That's for sure. If our house got robbed, we didn't call the police. We would call our our friends and try and figure out who the hell robbed us. So that's sort of what my viewpoint and experience is. Um, uh, Leonard? I grew up in the suburbs in Thornhill, <laughs> in Markham, Ontario. <laughs> My experience with the police has been pretty idyllic. Uh, you know, like, yeah, whenever crimes are committed against me, of which uh, there have been a few, uh, I call the police. I don't gather a posse like you do. That's how things are done. Yeah, like, I don't have friends who have, like, weapons <laughs> we're like yeah let's go stab a bitch like that's not i call the police uh we file reports and oh. we and that's it that's just basically how i've experienced police like they they their function for me has been what their function should be for everybody yeah. uh <laughs> unfortunately that's not the case uh but you know that's uh i'm i'm privileged i guess to be able to uh, call on the police when I need them to do police things, mm. uh, which shouldn't be a privilege. It's a, it should be a right, but you know. <laughs> uh, and also, I don't have a posse, so I need. Mean, <laughs> you know. We're your posse. <laughs> yeah, true. Oh, man. yeah. Well, uh, we'll, we'll trash talk your enemies on a podcast, and we'll back you up. <laughs> I mean, you know what? That's, people keep saying like, "What happens if there's no police? Who's going to solve murders?" Podcast solve murders. I think we've Absolutely. established. Mm-hmm. We need we need making a murderer as like as our primary law enforcement. <laughs> yeah, we're just gonna turn this into serial. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and here is Jennifer attempting to rejoin. Sorry, yes. God, look at this cottage white privilege life ruining our Asian podcast. Mm. Okay, uh, basically, I'm positive a lot of. <laughs> <laughs> Brought to you by Rogers. <laughs> we call the cops because uh, my mom's boyfriend fought with my dad and they kind of sided with the Chinese man who spoke perfect English and was a university professor. So I don't know if it was racism or socioeconomic class. My dad was unemployed at the time. End of story. Once again, um, to be open, my sister and I, or mostly my sister, reported my mom's boyfriend to be a sexual molester but because we're an Asian family, you know, we're taught not to talk about sex, right? So we didn't want to disclose the details to the cops when my dad brought us into the police station to disclose all the disgusting details this man did to us. All we said was this man makes us uncomfortable. We don't want him coming over and sleeping over. The cops kept probing. They called the Children's Aid Society. So that's an example of the cops bringing in the necessary community agency to help the children. And the Children's Aid Society, uh, what did they do? They asked us a few questions. We didn't disclose anything more. They didn't know anything about Asian culture and how anything sexual 
is kind of shameful and not discussed. Like on TV, you're watching TV, there's kissing. Your parents will say, Huang se, Huang se, change the channel. So all these disgusting things were happening to me. And I was just like, well, I can't disclose it. And case closed. Children's Aid didn't do anything and nothing happened. And the police report in 1994 shut down. Fast forward, I'm in university. I realized I went to journalism school, whatever media law taught me that I could record a conversation with me and my perpetrator and have that be admissible in court as long as I'm part of the recording. I basically get evidence of this guy mm. not denying that he molested me and took that to the police and they did their job, Bong. They were, they listened to me. I didn't feel intimidated walking into the police station. Mm. I didn't feel like, oh, I'm Asian, so they're not gonna listen to me. I'm trying to imagine if I was a black woman, uh, an indigenous woman, would I have felt differently? Would I have been scared? Some women don't even go ahead with this shit. You know what I mean? Like sexual abuse is a huge issue. So is domestic violence and rape. And a lot of these cases, it's disgusting how our justice system completely ignores them and gives a slap on the wrist to the perpetrators. Cause it's not just not seen as, as important as robbing a convenience store or, you know, like yeah, it, any other crime. So I guess my experience with the cops, it worked. It led to two criminal trials. So I'm not complaining about the cops in that sense, but I think it's because like, yeah, we're an Asian model minority. Like what, what are they gonna, they're gonna be afraid that we're gonna like what? pull some equations out on them. Like, I don't know, like, it's just, we're non-threatening is what I'm trying to say. So I didn't feel any kind of us, them type of thing with that. Yeah, I do think, yeah, I do think that in Toronto and in Vancouver, Asians are seen really differently. Um, than in the rest of Canada, because if you're a rich Asian and you're going to choose to come to Canada, you're going to choose one of those two cities. So all the other Asians who live across Canada basically didn't choose their city. And it's basically, you know, war refugees, people coming to the country without much money. And so um, in Winnipeg, if a police officer sees an Asian, they're not thinking model minority. They're not thinking good at math. They're thinking gang member. So it is, it, it's definitely different once you get outside of like the, the Toronto Vancouver bubble for sure. So just, um, and, and I think from the perspectives of our panelists so far, I think that's sort of, um, that's sort of showing out, but it, it's good. We have a diversity of experiences because we're going to now jump into the actual topics themselves. So the first topic we want to talk about is police brutality. So, so many things are happening in the U.S., um, you know, with, with George Floyd, also things in Canada with, um, with uh, the hashtag Justice for Regis campaign going on right now um, and other crazy things happening with wellness checks in the Ontario area. Um, so one thing I wanted to talk about is... Is this new? Is it getting worse? Or is it just that people are recording it now? Hmm. Yeah. I feel like things have always been bad. I think it's just, it's more in the news now. And there's always, and there's like so many, if you, if you go back and you look at like, there's so many names over like the years, uh, you know, and, and some of them are just, people don't even, you know, remember some of these names, <coughs> which is terrible. So I, I do think that uh, if it weren't for the recordings, much less would be done. Like this stuff does galvanize people because 
it really makes it human. And it's not just like necessarily a black white thing, but there is a lot more black than white. But I just remember uh, Daniel Shaver. I don't know if you guys saw that video and that was freaking horrifying. Like this poor guy, he was like an ex- he's a white guy. He's an exterminator. Uh, and he had like a pellet gun that you use for extermination. Somebody called the cops on him. They came and then he just, I mean, he was doomed. Like the, 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 the body cam shows like this guy, uh, the cop who shot him, he had, like his, uh, the the uh, the gun had like something written on it saying you're fucked, oh. uh, and he's just giving him all these insane, uh, you know, instructions that were completely, you know, contradictory. And then I guess, and the guy was just begging for his life, like please don't, you know, please don't kill me. And then of course they killed him. Like he his pants were falling down or something because they made him do something. It's just it was like a game of Simon Says. And as soon as he like the penalty for losing was death, right? And I think the difference though is like white people look at that and some people would think, oh, that could have been me, but not often. They don't really, you know, white people can compartmentalize that stuff a lot better because whereas I feel like minorities internalize that stuff. Like where when they see those types of videos or like it becomes, there's like a more emotional weight to it that they, the more emotional trauma that they have to deal with versus a white person who's just like, well, that really sucks for that dude. But like, they're not thinking that could have been me for the most part. And I think mm. that's like a huge, huge difference between the way these these videos are consumed. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting too. Like, you know, it's hard for me to say that police brutality is worse than it's ever been because obviously you're talking about a country in the US that had you know, was founded on on um, slavery. And so surely the worst it ever was was shortly after slavery or um, as they they were basically using um, law enforcement to re-enslave people basically through um, through putting them in jail and then making yeah, them work for nothing. Control. Yeah. And and now for for me, I I will say with, with the caveat of, you know, it's not the worst it's ever been, but I do feel like there has been a resurgence and it's more than just people capturing it on film. I do think with with Donald Trump and even before Trump, there's been this resurgence. I feel like social media has let these people on the margins, these white terrorists, um, white supremacists kind of find other like-minded people and it's made them feel empowered. So I do mm. feel like... You know, the we are being mm-hmm. shown more, but I do think there is a little bit of a resurgence for sure. Yeah, I mean, usually like in most, before the internet, like I think uh, for the most part, like a lot of these, you know, racists or the like, conspiracy theorists or whatever, like, they would have to meet in the woods, the edge of town, but now like they have subreddits, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, they're they're given a place for them to like share their theories and validate their own insane thoughts and racist thoughts in these echo chambers. And then that allows this stuff to proliferate. And then you end up with people driving trucks into crowds of protesters, you know? Now, while the the ability for these people uh, to communicate is like, obviously it's, it's detrimental for the, you know, for the good of society. But I think the communication is the first step in reducing the ability of uh, of these groups to do these things. Like the videos that we have, no one can deny that this stuff is happening now. 
because we all we can communicate with each other we we can spread the videos and these uh these races they they are a vocal minority so Vol even if like they're communicating and organizing now the 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 rest of, of society now knows about them and it's not like we're like there there's a lot of uh receptiveness to this yeah i would i would say I, I would say vocal yeah I, I i would say vocal minority but in the u.s you know that's still what 42 percent of people <laughs> um yeah, voted it, for trump it was and enough to elect trump yeah, and, and and also of of white people, I think it was seventy percent of people voted for Trump. So it might be minority, but it's not really. It's well, like the people who would minority. go to like an uh, uh, like straight up Nazi uh, Nazi rally, um, otherwise right? known as a as a Trump uh, or like yeah as a uh, Trump speech. as a Trump rally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love to see uh, like I mean uh, Laura Ingraham. I guess like there's that thing that went viral where she's just like at a rally and then she does this like oh hi i meant like you know like she starts with a nazi salute but then she like really yeah, quickly she, yeah halfway through oh no <laughs> yeah like you, you just gotta be i was like come on man like you know that that up you gotta be you know that's the laura yeah. ingraham angle i guess <laughs> you gotta watch your angles for sure for sure you gotta yeah. watch your angles <laughs> and maybe maybe um uh jennifer if you could give us a bit of perspective because you've lived you know in canada but you also spent 10 years of your adult life in china is it different under a communist regime versus in north america the policing Oh, okay, no. we have lost Jennifer. <laughs> that that up, was a up, rough up. question. Like you, you gotta, you can't, you can't just ask something like that. Bong. That's that's <laughs> the great firewall of China strikes again. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> and being censored very appropriately and timely. <laughs> Sorry, what was your question, Bong? Um, sort of give us a perspective on policing in in China versus North America. Whether it's different in a communist society. Well, it's very different because the police in China are not armed. I kind of liken them to postal workers here. They're very, they have their own hut, you know, like little police station that says, you know, um, public safety. And they mostly deal with visa enforcements, like making sure that if you're a mm. foreigner and you touch down in China, that you have the correct visa and that you apply for a resident permit, whether you're staying at a hotel or whatever. Um, the real policing, if you want to get technical. Uh, the real tough stuff is done by the military. So we're talking every time you go past a bank and they're transferring money from the ATM machine to a van, you'll have two armed military guys standing with helmets and AK-47s. <laughs> okay. Those, well, uh, again. <laughs> wow, just when she was about to jump in <laughs> on uh, the AK-47s. What else do they have? Giving what else us do they the have? Real scoop. Yeah. Um, she's four one sixes. Berettas. They have grenades. Who else supplies them with weaponry? <laughs> hmm. But no, the police were very helpful to my sister when she lost her luggage in the back of a cab. Like they hunted this cab down hmm. and found her luggage. So they do seem to be quite, I guess, bored enough to do things like that. Like, can you imagine the Toronto police? You lose your luggage at Pearson and you call them and they're like, sure, we'll help you track down your luggage. You know, it would, it would be really so nice. Be really nice. Yeah. That <laughs> now, uh, really do the Chinese police have um, 
like tasers and nightsticks? No, 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 nothing. They might have a baton. I haven't seen that though. Like the only time I've ever seen police in China are when they're on the road on little moped motorcycles, giving out tickets, doing breathalyzer tests, because that's a thing now, and enforcing parking or at their own kind of police station mm. in a resident compound. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, so... That sounds lovely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great yeah. point. Until, yeah. until you know, you, you want to get into the, the heavy stuff, that, that's when the military is called in, for sure. Like, the guys guarding every embassy are uh, soldiers. They're not police. Yeah. So are there like mili uh, military like precincts instead of police? And then there's like a police like little hub attached to it? No, nothing like that. I think it's very separate. Like when they have the raising and lowering of the flag at Tiananmen Square every morning at 6 a.m., it's the military. It's the military that's surrounding all the diplomatic diplomatic compounds and the whole kind of government area where I guess they're... Um, the Chinese White House is, you know, your, the equivalent. There's and not presumably like it's the military that's it's the military that's like beating down the protesters in Hong Kong. It's not the police. Uh, well, in Hong Kong, that's actually Hong Kong police. But some conspiracy oh. theorists would argue that it's hired military or assassins from China oh. that are doing the work. Didn't for the, uh, the, the, the status change change to uh, Chinese, like officially Chinese occupied? in hong kong yeah it's it's a uh, hong kong is considered a special administrative region so china does have more control over it but they still have their own i guess um like secretary general who was kind of elected by china and and the protests in hong kong are really because it was over this bill or piece of legislation that would allow extradition to china so basically that's kind of giving china the ultimate power where like okay, we're, we're slowly taking back more and more of Hong Kong, like government decisions, policies, and I guess the people weren't happy about it, staged a protest, and as you see from the news, people are getting beat down pretty severely, tear gassed, shot with pepper sprayed bullets, and um, it's definitely not peaceful. Like even peaceful protesters are getting yeah. seriously injured. Yeah, actually, it seems pretty similar to what's going on in the U.S. Yeah, that, that, uh, it does. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's a great uh, that's a great segue to the next part of our discussion, which is the police response to basically peaceful protests. Let's leave the rioting um, end of it out out for now. But let's talk about the response to peaceful protests. You know, as Jennifer just mentioned, it does seem a little bit hypocritical because a lot of people in the U.S. had come out and really um, uh, talked, talked a lot of shit about what was happening in Hong Kong. But now it's happening in the U.S. too, and it's really militarized. And, and honestly, for me, the police response is almost scarier than the initial murders. Not that I'm trying to be insensitive to the people who are murdered, but it's like when you catch somebody with video evidence and their response is to then tamp down and brutalize more people, um, even though they know they're being recorded, it, I, it, to me, it's even scarier because there's no, um, there's no remorse. Um, well, what are, what are your guys' thoughts on the police response to the protests in North America? I, mean, I think when they've, people, they've made it a war. When, when that, oh, sorry. What's that? I think they, they've, they've kind of, instead of doing like a, 
like a like a piece like a sort of controlling the populace and like diffusing the situation they've declared it as a war amongst themselves they're infiltrating the crowds they're placing you know they're placing bricks they're uh they're inciting the riots themselves it's they're uh yeah. they're waging war against the, the people of the u.s it's not like uh they're not trying to control the situation they're trying to dominate the situation and it comes from the top it's leadership right when you have a president using words like oh you got to dominate the situation and calling it a battle space which is generally reserved for actual battle spaces <laughs> and you have generals who are speaking out about it going uh maybe we shouldn't be using these terms because language matters you know like you know and like and especially how he's framing it right because he's dividing everything up so it's like you know like i do the, the i do wonder protesters. if you could even give trump the credit for this because the, the problem has existed way before him it's just come to true a head but now. he's not making it better like he's not making it better no, and then especially he's adding fuel, would you expect him to he's adding fuel to the fire he's when the looting sharp starts the shooting starts like who says that well, mm -hmm. 1968, uh, <laughs> racist. Yeah, says that. There you go. So history <laughs> but, is repeating uh, itself. Hundred percent. But like, um, also, like, I mean, to go back to the, the initial question about like how they're treating peaceful protesters, you just have to go look at what happened in Lafayette Square in Washington D.C. Right? Like the tear gas that they used, and then they, and then them saying, "But we didn't use tear gas." And it's like, no, it was just a gaseous substance that causes tears. That's fucking tear gas, man. And it's like, it's when words don't matter, when like language doesn't matter, when uh, the system, when the cops know, like, you know, the cops know like there's a system that's going to back them up. And that, and that system has been placed in place long before Trump, where like, it's just police unions, prosecutors, DA, like, they're all protecting mm -hmm. each other. That's why they feel they can get away with this stuff. That's why they do this stuff with impunity. But, the, you know, the more people speak out about it, the more, you know, things are changing. Like, mm -hmm. we're now seeing, like, all these videos come out shortly followed by an article saying, and those cops have now been charged. And it's like, that was, that's rare. That's, that's new. I feel that's new. It feels new. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right? I, I, I yeah. do. I do think the the whole issue of accountability is at the heart of this because, you know, the police in a lot of ways haven't had to take accountability for their actions. Like quite a few of these cops that are being caught in charge, you know, like the, um, the, um, the one in Minneapolis and I think one in Miami as well, who, you know, the, the Minneapolis one, of course, was the, uh, the original, um, the original video that sparked all this, but he uh, he had what seventy nine um, reports of excessive force on him, and the guy in Miami, I believe, was seventy eight. And it's like, okay, finally they yeah. got caught on a, I, I guess you know you can do things until the eightieth time, and then you're finally going to get caught. <laughs> and what was really scary to me as well is, like, when. Yeah, like so prior to video um on cell phones and that people would generally take the word of police over the word of the victim and they'd always use these excuses like resisting arrest or all, all these different things and then now we're seeing with these videos as leonard just mentioned they'll just flat out lie they'll be like no that wasn't tear gas they'll say that a 75 year old man tripped on his own they'll say that you know 
that George Floyd yeah. died of and natural was, causes for goodness and sake. And that was before they're kneeling at a protest. Yeah. So yeah. I no, it, it's, it's pretty it's like war. Bong, you, you mentioned a really good point about using language that convolutes what is actually happening to confuse the general public. Just like in war, when they use the expression friendly fire, what the fuck is a friendly fire? I was reading an article about DeAndre Campbell. This was back in 2006 of a black man who had schizophrenia in Brampton who called the police or his family called the police five times before they went to his house. This is in Brampton, Ontario. They went to his house. He had a knife. Okay. He was mentally unstable, obviously, but the police did not know how to defuse the situation. And in the police report, they used the words, an officer disengaged the energy weapon. That was supposed to be a word for gun, like an energy, like they used really whack wording to make it seem like it just happened. It just happened that DeAndre Campbell got shot in the chest two times after the police disengaged some like weapon that he had the knife. Like I, I couldn't even understand what to make of that police report. So there's definitely language that gets used that's like police code that makes us kind of like, oh, what, what? And that's how the, it's one way to get away with it. It's like how the freaking Catholic church protects its pedophiles. I'm sorry, it is how the police department protects its bad cops. And like, you know, that's they are even having trouble. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah. Oh, just, just to go back to the pedophile thing, like police, when they get fired from a precinct, they are generally rehired at another precinct. So it's just like moving, you know, just moving uh, pedophiles to a different parish. It's like, it's like, yeah, it's fucked up. And I can't even imagine how much like police sexual assault goes on. Oh my justify God. Yeah. Like it's, it's probably crazy. We don't even hear about it because oh. it, it's part oh, of the routine. Like, it's had down. Yeah, I, I, I read it. I'm reading on Facebook, sorry. Some cop pulled a tampon out of a woman in the middle of the public. Like I read this article, someone posted it on Facebook. Like this happens, a police search in public because they suspected she had drugs up her coochie. Yeah, there was um, there was an article recently where it revealed that uh, that in a lot of states that you that if a police officer um, rapes somebody that. Uh, while they're on duty, they can actually use the defense of that person gave consent. Um, so when you're in the custody of a cop and they rape you, they can actually say that their victim gave consent, which I, I forget how, um, how many places that's an actual viable defense. But, um, you know, they are starting to change it in some states, but not enough. They could literally rape you and say you gave consent. Now they'll have to well, prove this is it. In yeah. Did you see, hear th see that article about the, the 24-year-old or 23-year-old black man in France who was, like, gang-raped by police officers with, yes. and sodomized with the baton? Yeah, the, uh, the football player, right? And they said it was an accident. How does your baton accidentally slide up a guy's ass? Tell me that. Like, it's ridiculous. Oh, it's good be Lord. Really bad How hard it is bad. for even like my husband to try to know. <laughs> <laughs> so there, 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 there are, um, there are petitions right now to make it so that all the states, um, that, that defense, um, can no longer be applied because 
you know, obviously if you have somebody in handcuffs, how can they give consent? Um, or if they're in police custody. So hopefully that gets yeah. through because that seems common sense. Um, Plus, if, if, you, if you're on duty and you're fucking, I think you should go to jail. Either. Like, you got to represent the, the, the whole force. Yeah, at the very least. And the force shouldn't yeah. be fucking people. Yeah, at the very least, it's unprofessional I, I feel, and obviously it's criminal. Yeah, I feel like if the more power you have, the harsher the punishment should be if you abuse it. You know, and that's, and that's been the opposite. But like, you know, I feel like, you know, a lot of the times, a lot of these things just get settled. Uh, you know, like the, the police have paid out like billions of dollars for the settlements in the past however many years, which is ridiculous. But that's coming out of taxpayer money. What if that shit comes out of their pension fund? Hmm. I, I feel like they'd be a lot more, a lot less likely yeah. to, be, you know. I mean, alternatively, maybe cops would be less likely to want to like snitch on each other or something. But then... And then you just got to put like incentives in place. I don't know. Like maybe they get extra money if, if they snitch. I don't know. Point being, there has to be more accountability and it can't yeah. fall on like basically the citizens are always the ones paying for their mistakes, which I feel is fucked uh. up. Like, yeah, if anything I did wrong and somebody else had to pay for it, that changes the dynamic of how I live my life. <laughs> Yeah, so <laughs> so so moving forward, so that's that's um, that, that's an interesting idea to tackle the um, the issue of police accountability. So moving forward, just to um, change the conversation a bit, like moving forward, how how do we change this? We've talked about how corrupt it is, how crazy it is in the U.S. Also in Canada, we're not immune to this as well, and you know all all across the world. But how do we? emerge from this um, outside of just complaining about it you know so one of one of the things people are talking about right now is defunding the police um, there's a lot of there's a lot of support for it but also a lot of confusion a lot of people are against it some there's a lot of misinformation people don't know what it is is it defunding the police is it abolishing the police is that the same thing is it reforming the police so you know maybe let's uh let's talk about what you know what defunding the police actually means and what are what are the options well it's a spectrum you know there are some people who are on basically like yeah we don't need any police abolish all of it and then there's other people who are like it's really more about the reallocation of money towards resources that are better suited to dealing with the situations that police get keep getting put into that they're not trained for you know like police are asked to do a lot of things uh, and I, and it's actually kind of unfair, like how much they're actually asked to do. And of course, there's going to be situations where they're putting, you know, where they are not equipped to handle it because the training for a police officer in Toronto is like six months, you know, which is to be a hairdresser is two years, like six months cop hairdresser, two years. So like, I mean, you know, and I only need one of them right now, if you, as you can see, uh, <laughs> but like, I feel, um, you know, part of it. You know, the, the parts that I agree with would be to reallocate money towards building better communities, housing, education, you know, uh, you know, mental health, uh, you know, addiction experts, that sort of thing. And then and also to try to use that money to create prosperity within communities and give better paths to success for people in these low income communities, because you have to look at the reasons why crime gets committed. It's because food insecurity, because they don't have you know, all these things that they, now they feel like the only way to get them is to steal them or whatever. And then that just leads to more problems. But like, 
if you give people less incentive to commit crime because they can be successful legally, then you don't mm-hmm. need as much law enforcement. Yeah, you know, I'll, 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 I'll jump on that too because I, as I mentioned, I did grow up in a, in a very rough area and honestly, about half my friends were drug dealers. Half of them probably still are drug dealers. I've had friends go to jail for murder um, and some of them are, are still in jail for murder because it, it takes a while to get out for that. Yeah, but when, when there are that many drug dealers, is it kind of like a pyramid scheme where like one guy, he gets the drugs and then like they feed it down the chain and everyone's just like, hey, you want to buy drugs? It's like, no, I just bought drugs. Well, you uh, know, do you want to buy drugs. There's yeah, breaking. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it definitely it's break multi, definitely multi level marketing scheme. Yeah, yeah, definitely breaking Bond. bad and the wire are not representative. It 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 does go through a, a chain. It's usually you know it's usually like gang related. You're not usually getting like independent drug dealers. It's usually part of a whole system, and usually they'll get you early. Of like you know like one thing people don't understand is. The drug dealers, not all of them are drug dealers by choice. So what happens is when you're a kid all the way from like elementary school, they know if you get busted selling drugs, your penalty will be lower. So you just have to be lucky that you're not one of the kids in grade three that got recruited. And then if you say no, they'll kill your family. So, you know, I I, I do think that I, I know I'm just saying like drug dealers are misunderstood, but they, they kind of, honestly, I don't even know what I was talking about in the first place. How did I get on this whole tangent? <laughs> this is a very special drug episode stories. of Sesame Street. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, okay, so oh, oh, if, if I could, if, oh, yeah. do you have it? Yeah, I, I, I've got it now. I think, oh yeah. So the thing um, Leonard was talking about, about like why people um, commit crimes in, in the first place, it's because when people grow up in an area like that the and you feel so powerless and there's a gang out there to be like we're gonna give you money we're gonna give you a gun we're gonna we're gonna like reverse the system for you even though you know there's a good chance you're gonna end up dead but ending up dead at least you have the chance of getting out of it or having some type of semblance of control in your life. And that's what people don't understand. And obviously a lot of people don't choose to go down that road. Obviously I did not choose to go down that road, but do I understand how somebody could make that choice? And if like Leonard is saying, you were to invest so people don't have to make that choice, like rich people don't join gangs because they don't have to. So we need, yeah, you're right. We do need to just create, use the money to create programs to help people get out of poverty, to get educated. Uh, the lack of these I mean, systems people, is what causes sorry. the this crime problem in the first place. Mm-hmm. Because crime doesn't like yeah. pay that much better than not crime. And you can also get arrested. It's, it's much right. better to give people an avenue to better themselves. Uh, and through uh, scholarships, more, more, uh, send more money into these areas. We have to invest in. Yeah, but it's just I think my problem with the defunding statement is just right now it's become like this blanket statement that encompasses everything from disbanding to relocating to creating a new police force to like I think people are throwing it around as this generalization for fuck Mm. the police when it is so much more. Yeah, well, I, I understand that, but then that's where something. Yeah, it's confusing. And that's where a lack of information like comes in and you're like, well, wait a minute. Okay. Like how much are we actually spending in Toronto on police over a billion dollars? How much of that goes to the officers? 800 million of that is to officers salaries. And according to 
Ford's uh, study or whatever it was, like he disagrees with this, Premier Ford. He thinks we shouldn't um, defund the police. He thinks, in fact, we need more police officers because last year they cut pol the police force down by about 10, 15%. I I'm not getting the numbers right. But what happened was there was an increase in the need for officers, like people were calling more and there was like a supply demand issue. And I think it's like, we can say reallocate the money. Like these two city councilors wanna cut off, like skim off just 10% across the entire police budget. Um, but like, where is that money going? I know you say community services and projects, but do we have the right ones in place yet? Or are we gonna build that from the ground up? Like it is so complex. And even when you do that, the effects of it, of course, are long-term. But then what do you have when you cut it here? Like what is going to be in place of that right away? You're basically creating like a hole in a tank kind of and saying, okay, well, we need it here to fill this here, but that's still a hole. But look, we're creating something here, but it's not ready yet in a way. Like it's not, we don't have all these qualified people immediately ready to deal with mental health, to deal with sexual abuse, to deal with crimes in certain communities like you just look at how diverse canada is how many languages how many experts in the various languages we need to support all the various communities we have it's not just take away the money snap it it appears here rah, there we go like there's a gap well, missing it's like not that, it's not going to be that simple obviously right no. i mean it's 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 going to be a very you're trying to re, re like fix a broken Rebuild. system that's been broken for a long, 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 long time. And there's a lot of entrenched interests who do not want that system to change. And there's obviously going to be a lot of studies and a lot of things that have to be done and shit that's way beyond my pay grade. I'm a comedian. Right. What the fuck do I know about the police? I'm a comedian who grew up in Thornhill and I call the police when I need, when I need them. Like, I don't know how to fix this. But, you know, I do look at, you know, the science. And obviously there's no, like, experiment that's been done because of you know from a political standpoint it's difficult to do that however there has been mm -hmm. okay so back in uh 2014 ish i think so this is in the wake of eric garner who you guys remember another yet another unarmed african-american man who was choked to death uh for selling like lucy's like selling cigarettes and there were protests there's a whole bunch of stuff that happened uh and long short you know, basically the the you know, to summarize, uh, the NYPD was like, you know what? No, like people were calling for getting rid of the police. NYPD were like, you know what? We're just going to slow, do a work slowdown. And then uh, you're going to see how much you need the police and crime's going to go up. You'll see how much you need us. And the exact opposite happened. Crime yeah. went down. So people were mm -hmm. like, what? And then so there are a lot of theories. They're like, oh, maybe people, yeah. because they knew there were fewer police, they just weren't calling the police as much. But that didn't really line up with like the timeline. And then other people were like, oh, maybe people weren't calling the police because they didn't trust the police as much. But it's like, nope, uh, right after Eric Garner died, the calls still remained the same. After Freddie Gray died, the calls remained the same. So again, that wasn't it. So what they realized, uh, like the best theory, is that the police proactively police. They go into like low-income neighborhoods that high crime and they like just mm -hmm. proactively police uh, you know, low level crimes. And what they discovered is that that creates tension within the community. Mm -hmm. And when there's tension mm -hmm. in the community, people are more like likely to commit crime. When those police weren't there, communities were a lot more calm and they're like, okay, cool. We can, 
you know, well, so there. No, I, yeah. I hear you. I think though, what Ford is saying is that money needs to be reinvested to retrain police to set higher standards so that we hold like so that when you become a police, it's not just like getting a job at McDonald's. Like, I feel like police are becoming what social workers used to be or still are like kind of not qualified in a lot of cases don't know what they're doing getting paid shit and so everyone's like i'll be a police officer dude and they're freaking like horrible on un like uneducated so maybe we need to hire like very educated police officers maybe we have to hold them to the same high standard as pilots and surgeons because they're responsible for people's lives and also take away the incentive for bonuses through arrests and ticketing because that's what you see the freaking Toronto police parking. They're going nuts mm -hmm. ticketing people because if they give out tickets, if they make arrests, guess what? That means they're a good cop. Like take away that and focus their efforts on community building and trust. Photos and all were that made by the stuff. devil for sure. So maybe it's something that needs yeah. to be reinvented within the system. Maybe it isn't even bad cops because I was talking to Cliff, the comedian Cliff on Instagram about, you know, something that I posted, which was, yeah, like there can't be bad cops, like having 95%, 97% of a good cop rate in a police force is not enough because that 3% or 5% out of 36,000 NYPD cops is still like 5,000 deaths each year if you're arming 5,000 officers with guns. So what can we do to make it better? And it's just like, well, the system's fucked up. It's like how we go into comedy and we're so happy and we're like, ooh, open mic. And then we get you know, not booked or someone says a racist joke towards us and we get jaded and jaded. And then pretty soon we're these bitter shit comedians that tell hacky race jokes because that's what it takes, well, you know? Speak for yourself, all right? Speak for yourself. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'll, 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 I'll say my view on defund the police is, you know, I actually am in agreement with, with, with both of you because I do feel like, you know, similar to what Jennifer's saying, I don't think it's as simple as taking money away from, from the police. I do think we should, you know, do, do some case study, take a look at what happened in, um, as Leonard mentioned, in New York. Um, and also I have a general distrust of every time government says they're taking money away from something, but they haven't, yeah. they haven't yeah, said doing. specifically it where it's right going to go. Pocket. Yeah, it just kind of just like evaporates and then it, it's not actually it's helping. Like money laundering. Yeah, but you know, like I, I do fear that if it gets too big, it'll become like the liberal build the wall. Like it's just a dream that people say defund the police. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, but no, it's true. That's why there has to be direction. Yeah. The, and like speaking to. That's why it has to be specific. Yeah, I, I would say. Well, speaking of Jennifer's. Oh. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Vaughn. Go on. <laughs> yeah, I would. I was gonna say. So, like on, on the other side, where I agree with Leonard is, it's like, um, for me, defund the police is more about direction and that people are looking at different ways. You know, we might not have the answers right now, but at least I feel like people are looking at things that are even broader than just retraining the police or getting more police. To me, I don't think that's enough. That's why I'm glad they're not using the term um, reform the police because if you're just throwing more police at it, I don't think that's how we have to look at it because if you're gathering all the poor people into an area and they have no hope and then the crime rises and then you just bring more police, which are then, you know, taking away, you know, um, family members, so then that family is even poorer, then 
the other family members might turn to crime. And then your solution is go bring more police to arrest those people. And then you're just literally going to arrest everybody. So I just feel like you do need to take a look at how much money are going to the police. And I'll just finish my point with this is like, I just can't believe that when you're seeing police with tanks and like these crazy military gear, like riot gear happening that you can't tell me they don't have a little bit of extra money. Yeah. Meanwhile, doctors are finding coronavirus wearing paper bags to work. Uh, <laughs> just here's the thing. Like, you know, Jennifer, you're talking about like bad apples and, you know, how it's unacceptable. And yeah, the point, like the Chris bad Rock, apples Chris are Rock. there because, yeah. And the bad apples are there because the roots of the tree are fucked. So it's really about mm. going down and then, you know, the, and the roots of the, the roots come from trust. It's trust between the police and the community that they're meant to serve. Mm -hmm. That trust has been broken. And there's right, a yeah. reason why people aren't doing songs called fuck the mailman, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and so there's a really interesting uh, case study in uh, the Yukon uh, in a community called Kwanlin Dun. And the, it was a, the crime rate was absurd. The murder rate was it, like exceedingly high, like way higher than, you know, compared to the national average. And the RCMP, like they would never show up. It was brutal. But what they did is they, they put together a pilot project and they hired four community safety officers. They don't have any ability to enforce the law. So they can't arrest anybody and they do not carry guns by choice. And so they go around and they, they build relationships with the community. They'll help people cut wood. They'll like take somebody, you know, like uh, if they're too drunk, they'll drive them home. Like, and they, they are integrated in the community. They are trust, people trust them because they know they're not gonna report them to the law and they help. And now crime rates have gone down and the RCMP who previously wouldn't really respond quickly if they get a call from one of these safety officers, they're like, oh shit, things must be bad. And they go out there as soon as possible. And it's made everything so much better. And again, it just comes down to trust. Like that is a model for, you know, ways that you can police communities, police, uh, that are, are far more integrated within the community. Like it can't just be like, oh, we're dropping a guy with six months of training, like a McDonald's worker, which by the way, a McDonald's worker, if you've ever been to a McDonald's at 3 a.m. in downtown Toronto, those guys are way better at de-escalating situations than the police. So, <laughs> I would rather have a fucking McDonald's worker. They gotta be, they don't have, they don't get guns. Exactly, now, they got fucking spatulas, man, and they're still, and they're doing a much better job. Now, I, I'd like a to vanilla say- Vanilla cone solves everything. Yeah, uh, yeah. In, in America, I, it's not just the police uh, where the issue comes from. It's the prison system, the privatized prison system. Because mm, it, these, uh, these companies yeah. will require that they have a certain amount of uh, uh, prisoners. And they have to say, we got to be 90% or above, for example, uh, full, or we're going to find the state mm. like $5 million this year. And so that puts pressure on the police to just... Uh just gobble up people for no reason. Just lock them up. We just need numbers. Yeah. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. You know, Bong, you said before the rich people don't have gangs. They do. They're called corporations. <laughs> but they're called. <laughs> legal exactly. gangs. They, they have legal yeah. gangs. They rape and pillage our economy. Yeah. The um, police are a gang. They're called sure. caddies. You ever, you ever heard that the police are the largest gang in the United States? 
Well, I would certainly say they are acting like a gang at the moment. Actually, there was a, a quote that came out this morning um, from a, from a police chief. I'm, I shouldn't be quoting this because I forget exactly who it was, but I remember what he said. He was part of law enforcement, and he was just calling for people to... Um, to uh, he was complaining that people were calling police um, thugs and, and uh, judging them without knowing their inner person. And I was like, that's just really rich right now for the police to be saying that. <laughs> did, did you see that video of that protester? He was kneeling and he was saying, I just want to get to know you as people and love you. This is not who you are, blah, 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 blah. And he was just trying to, you know, put out a, a, a message of love. And they literally just came by, targeted him, pulled him out of the crowd and arrested him. And it's like, well, okay. <laughs> I mean, you yeah. don't want to be seen as thugs. This guy literally saying, I know this is not who you are. And then they're like, nah, we are. We're, we're, yeah, we're no, sure. no, 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 you're wrong. <laughs> I, I just, you think I you're I really not. hope, I think, I think that we're in such a special time in history right now, not just because of COVID obviously, but because it has gotten to such a point where there's enough momentum to create real change. Like CEOs are stepping down. The frigging CrossFit CEO guy stepped down because of his racist comments that were recorded by employees and his stupid Twitter uh, tweet. And so this is not just like, I really hope that in a few weeks, like the reopening is not gonna, the reopening Toronto or places isn't just gonna like take over the important work that is being done. I mean, the Black Lives Matter movement, I think started six years ago and communities, the people behind it have been working so hard to get their voices heard. And now with this, it's, it's finally gaining the momentum and strength that it needs where we're actually talking about implementing real change and whether that's like with the police or more investment in communities or providing more platforms for people so that it isn't just this dialogue of whiteness that cloaks everything it's going to benefit everyone even white people believe it or not you know so i just hope that like like with the protests it's working i know the protesters we group them like there's peaceful protesters there's looters they're rioters but what they all have in common is you know what, there's something wrong with the system and it needs to be fixed. And I really hope, like, I know we're just talking about it, but like, it's a chance to really yeah. think about your, your own privilege. I know we're Asian and we do have our own privilege mm -hmm. as well, for sure. Like I was talking to my family yesterday and we were just like, I used to tell my husband, I think, cause I'm just an idiot. And I was like, you know what, David, I'd rather be black than Chinese. I told my husband that. And it was from such an ignorant place because I was just like, because honestly, I'm in entertainment and there are way more black entertainers out there who have made it than Asian ones. I see Oprah. I see so many sports stars that are black. I see amazing singers who are black, amazing actors with TV shows. I grew up watching Family Matters, Fresh Prince. These are black stories being represented on TV and in mainstream media. We consume black culture. And yet this is how they're people are being treated like every day. David's like, no, Jen, I don't think you'd want to be black. Do you know how you'd get treated if you were black? Like just you as you, if you suddenly became black and you're not Tyra Banks or fucking Oprah, it's a different reality. And that is jarring to me to think that American culture, Hollywood, like we take so much, black culture gives us so much. And yet this is what is going on. 
in yeah. your communities. Yeah. Because white, pe white people are tourists in black culture. They, they're not, they don't really experience all I, of it. And like you said, Jen, we're privileged. Yeah, we but, are. You know, and we have to examine but, but that. You know what we are? We're, we we're invisible and it's time we fucking spoke up because as immigrants, we came here and we, we were taught that our silence, our embarrassment over our, with our Chinese accents, that if we kept our head down and did our work hard, we would, we would succeed. And we did. We built our own whatever, convenience stores, restaurants. We made our own niche. We made our Chinatowns. But that silence is not useful anymore, not in today's world and it shouldn't be yeah so the, so just picking up on what you're saying i think it'd be a great way to end this segment i loved what you're talking about about you know you think this is um you're kind of optimistic that this is a moment that we have for real change and so i just want to ask um, um first first sebastian then leonard you know do you think this is lasting or is this just we're just going to look back and Think of, you know, this is Ferguson, Ferguson all over again. People got mad for half a minute and then they went back to their old lives. Um, what do you think, Sebastian? I think that the response of the public via riots and, and protests, it, it signifies that a change is going to happen soon. And I don't necessarily think it's going to be a positive change via the police in, becoming more and more militant uh and having less oversight or having uh or being declawed as it as it were but i think something will happen it's it's going to be defund the police or police state i think this is one step towards that either way yeah i mean i think this is the best chance there's ever been for something mm -hmm. to happen i think it was just a very unique situation you know with the pandemic and then a lot of people they didn't have to worry about how am I going to live my life as much? Like they're not caught up in their own shit because they have, they're at home. There's nothing to do. So then yeah. when something like this happens, you know, like now there's this pent up energy and the need to go towards something. And like, you know, th thankfully this is the thing, uh, you know, if it can institute positive change, like you're seeing people who would never talk about this stuff ever before talking about this stuff, you know, mm -hmm. like you have bank of America, you know, uh, donating a billion Romney. dollars to the car, which by the way, what? No, like okay. all the, it's uh, time for all the Mitt Romney Republicans of the world. He, he wrote Black Lives Matter and Black Lives Matter is painted yeah. across this leading up to the White House. Like real, like people yeah. that can finally make some changes are listening and. Yeah, no, I, they didn't just paint exactly. Black Lives Matter on the, on the street. They, it's named Black Lives uh, Matter uh, now. Street. Yeah. yeah. But the thing is, what's important for all of us is that, you know, like this pandemic will end. People are going to go back to their own lives and then, yeah, they're going to get distracted. And it's just important to yeah. let, not let that momentum die. And it's, and it's, you know, Asians, white people, like, you know, white, white people have the, you know, fucking remember Coney 2012, like fuck causes go away so fast. So like, you gotta like, so it's just a matter of, you know, us, if, if you want change and if we want, if we want to do something to create change, we have to not stop talking about it. Everybody has a responsibility to not stop talking about it until right. change actually happens. Yeah. So, so I'm, and so I don't, I think this is the best chance. Yeah, I, I agree. It's our best chance, but I'll end on a pessimistic note because I feel like it's our best chance, but I don't think anything's going to happen because I've just seen it so much. I've seen it all my life. And I think, 
it's become to the point where it's so like it's so easy to support the cause now that even Michael Jordan is jumping in. Like you 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 know you know when you can support a cause and it won't yeah. hurt your shoe sales that everybody's just jumping on board. So for me, it's just everybody jumping on board. It's a pandemic. They're bored. The amount of people who actually care, like for yeah. me, so, so, th so this is, this is pride month. And, you know, I got into to some flack because I called out some people um, online because um, two years ago, or it might've been three years ago when black lives matter, Toronto stopped the pride parade for like a friggin' half hour. The gays went crazy, went anti-black. Like you have never seen because you know, we, their party got stopped for half a minute. And those same people are the ones doing the blackout Tuesday, the black lives matter, everything. I'm like, give me an effing break. Black lives matter until you have to stop your parade for half a second until it inconveniences you then. Okay. Maybe I'm not such a supporter anymore. So for me, this is just like a bunch of bored ass people stuck at home. Like I said, when to me, like being brave, comes way before Michael Jordan jumps in. You know what I mean? Being brave would have been, you know, jumping out there and having people, being willing to have people criticize your viewpoint because you just believe in it so much. And that's not what this is. You can come out and say Black Lives Matter now and you're not going to get punished for it. So anybody who's come out after this, I don't really care. You, like, all this, it's, like, it's kind of, but, it's, but it's kind of like when when Nike uh, hired Kaepernick to do that commercial, but they're still like giving, uh, like funding the Republican Party. They're like, but they hire but Kaepernick is, for the commercial to generate goodwill. Exactly what you're saying, Vong, is the reason why I think this has the best chance of working because now the public, basically, it's 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 all about public sentiment, right? If people are saying it and it's unpopular, that means the public doesn't care. Now mm -hmm. it means the public cares. When you have corporations jumping in on it, when you have all these people, yeah. when it's, when people, even if it is trendy, even if it sucks, like, look, there's a lot of people who are virtue signaling. If I, I, it sucks, right? Anytime I say anything, I always have to look, why am I saying this? Do it, you know? Yeah. But here's the thing. Even, I think it's a good sign that it's trendy to say this. Yeah. As much as I don't like people no. doing it because it's trendy, yeah. it's a good sign because that will change public policy. You have to look at the public it policy will. that has been changed because of this. Toronto Health has declared anti-Black racism a public health crisis. The uh, city of Minneapolis, the city council, unanimously or mostly unanimously voted to disband their police force and rebuild. So there mm -hmm. is that's a lot of positive tricky. change that that's exciting. never would I want to see happen. what happens there. Yeah, no, I, it is. It's like, it's like, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not comparing it because it's obviously way different than the Me Too movement, but remember the momentum that got and how many fucking perverts went to jail or like lost their careers? Like justice was finally served from that. And now with Black Lives Matter and these anti-Black protests, like racists are being called out. I mean, like tons of CEOs, CEOs have stepped down. Like corporations are reevaluating their policies, even though I do hate it when they're like, I'm getting emails from companies like Stuart Weitzman and like, you know, just like, hey, we stand with Black Lives Matter. And that's when you know that they're saying it because they don't want to get like thrown under the bus for being silent. And that yeah. sucks, but at least they're being pressured to fucking do something. Yeah, I, I, I would say, like, 
Yeah, uh, go ahead, Leonard. Well, I was just saying Bank of America is donating a billion dollars to Black Lives Matters, which uh, which is pretty rich to me. It's just like Dracula being like, I will give you back 1% of your blood uh, to fight vampirism. But like, <laughs> Yeah, I, w- I would say on a more on a more technical note of of where my pessimism comes from is that um, the Democratic nominee in the U.S. who everybody feels like is this new hope they're finally going to get rid of Trump, but he's the ultimate status quo um, candidate. He has a history. Yeah, Biden. He has a history of racist policies. He was against busing. He was pro the Reagan crime bill, for goodness sake. We have receipts on his voting. And he but just... then he became Obama's best friend, Mom. So the reason why the reason why he became Obama's best friend is because he was so right. He was the most right wing Democrat you could get that they wanted to pair Obama with that so that the white people wouldn't be scared. So uh, so now really? people so now people are like, oh he must be pretty liberal if Obama took him. But Obama took him for the pure fact that he was not liberal and his best friend was a white supremacist. He gave the eulogy for Strom Thurmond, who's one of the most notorious white supremacists in U.S. history. He gave the eulogy and said he was his best friend for life. So do I think that Biden is going to actually give change? What a little bitch. What a hypocritical person. He was just talking about Black Lives Matter on CNN and like, he made yep. such a mm, heartfelt speech about George Floyd's death. And, and like, it, I would it, never thought that no, he just, had this. It, it will yeah. really hurt me when I have to vote for him. <laughs> yeah. For, but for anyone's better than Trump, right? I don't know. Any, yeah, I, there's no alternative. Definitely anybody's better I mean, than Trump. But I feel like there's going to be surface level change. But I feel you have to wait another eight years. If Biden's well, in for I'm, eight years. I'm not years, optimistic about this election. He's, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think yeah, Biden was. Uh, yeah, all, he's, he's 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 the he's uh, like a liberal version of Trump. Yeah. Also, also Biden just came out and said he was against defunding the police, and he thinks to solve it, the police need more money, and we need more police. That came out yesterday. So anyway, yeah. um, not to end on a negative note, but I am moderator, so I'm here in Toronto. Um. So. You know, once again, another awkward transition because I don't know how to transition to another topic. But, you know, um, just, just to our listeners, I do realize lately we've been talking about pretty heavy issues. Now, this is an Asian comedy podcast. I feel comedy. like... Comedy. Yeah. Yes, it's... We, it's... <laughs> yeah, so I, I, Everyone do a one-liner joke. Go. <laughs> um, well, we do have a one-liner comedian. Sebastian is a one-liner comedian. Hey, that is Sebastian, his style. Go. Okay. Um, Let's lighten it. We have to end on a light note, Bob. (laughs) Yes. All right. Uh, uh, I'm half Chinese and half white. Uh, It's hard for me sometimes because Chinese people think I'm white and white people think I have fetal alcohol syndrome. (laughs) (laughs) Is that a a joke to say that white people think Chinese people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's rooted in personal experience. Okay, so now that we've broken the ice, um, I, ju- I just do want to tell our listeners, you know, I know we've taken a little bit of, of, of a detour these last couple of weeks talking about very deep issues, but we do want to get back to being a comedy podcast. Um, we are not a news organization. So um, let's get back to one of our regular segments right now, which is um, giving our viewpoint on the entertainment world. And our topic this week is the movie Parasite. 
both about what our feelings on the movie and its cultural impact and why was Parasite the movie of all the foreign language movies in the history of the world why was this the one that won the Oscar why did it break through so let's start with what our personal feelings were about about Parasite um, as we watched it did it resonate did we think it was a good movie um, what did we think of the characters let's start with Sebastian well, uh, I mean, obviously, it's a masterful movie. It's just wonderful in every way. Uh, it's great. I can't really think of any any knocks on the movie other than uh, people don't like to read. So that's <laughs> that, that might be an issue for some people because there's subtitles. And it, it does tackle some like uh, some important issues like the wealth disparity, which is probably the biggest in the world right now. Mm. Yeah, I second that. Um, great movie. I think that the whole issue with class is something that the director, is his name Boon Jin-ho? Uh, okay, Bong, Bong, Jun, Bong Jun-ho. Boon Jung, say that again? Bong Jun-ho. Bong Jun-ho. So he has a, his style is kind of tackling class issues. His mm. other, um, film Snowpiercer it's now on Netflix as a television show but you can watch the movie also deals with with issues of class and I found that really interesting I like Parasite because it encompasses everything it's 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 supposed to be a dark comedy but there's drama there's comedy there's suspense there's a bit of horror okay which is great because Korean films old boy lady vengeance they're so good at getting the raw kind of human disparity and like what like who our person is and what is that what is that intangible thing and in parasite that thing was smell and it was about how rich people can tell who you can't even disguise who you are you can't even lie about your identity because they can smell you and i had this experience of when i was in beijing and i'd get into certain taxi cabs and right the, the first thing you notice is smell and the first thing you will judge a person is by oh my gosh this person smokes, this person hasn't had a shower, this person obviously hasn't had a shower because I can smell the oil emitting from their scalp. And that just touches one of like the basic human instincts. And I thought the way the film explored that, like it was very lighthearted in the beginning and you're kind of like, what's gonna happen? And by the end, it was almost this twist of where the proletariat, the main father realized like they were they were fighting. It was just so many twists and he was like, <laughs> Oh, I don't want to spoil it, but I just thought yeah, it yeah. was Yeah, we, we, we fucked that up last time. No spoilers for this. <laughs> okay. But, you know, like... This is yeah, the thing yeah. about... Go ahead, Sebastian. Okay, okay. okay. Uh, so, in, there's a... Like, everyone kind of becomes a monster by the by the end. Like, everyone's becomes, uh, like, the bad guy. Except, like, the rich people, because they're just so stupid. That they, <laughs> uh, they don't have... Like, they don't have to become because they just have money instead. Yeah, there's no art for them. There's no character art for the yeah. rich people. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a brilliant movie. Like, just from, like, the structure of the screenplay is crazy. Like, you know, basically any screenplay, you know, you boil it down to the most simple thing. It's like you have a character, they have a goal, there's obstacles in the way, that is the thing. But then there's, like, twists and there's turning points. And then there's themes uh, that underpin the whole thing. And, of course, in this case, the theme is class. Right. And the theme is what makes the whole thing memorable. But the twists are in, like the turning points, because when I was watching this movie, uh, a, I didn't know nothing about it. I didn't even watch a trailer. I thought it was a horror movie at first because of the name of it. And I hate horror movies. So I was like, I'm not going to watch this. And then people kept telling me, no, you got to watch this. So I'm like, OK. 
So I watch it, knowing nothing about it. And so then the first third of the movie, I was like, all right, so this is the kind of movie this is. All right, cool. And then something happens. I was like, oh shit, this is the kind of, this is what this movie is. And then another thing happens. I was like, oh shit, this is what this movie is. And like <laughs> that, like, the, the, the way they structured that screenplay and the way they did the turning points, which I'm not going to say, but like mm. any turning point is supposed to like dramatically shift the narrative uh, away from what the story was. And so it seems like a completely different story, but it's all underpinned by the same thing. Uh, and the way they yeah. did it was so insanely brilliant. I mean, Oscar got it right. Like they don't always, but like in this case, they 100% got it right. There's some yeah, controversy so about that though. There is some controversy about why they did that when they'd only had one black actress nominee. It, it was kind of, Parasite was kind of their Trojan's horse for diversity. That's what some people argue this year. Look, the film absolutely amazing, deserved to win. And so the, the Oscars needed Parasite more than Bong Joon-ho needed the Oscars because the Oscars, the Academy Awards, they're becoming obsolete. People are realizing this is a very local film festival. They're not international. Look at the look at the films in the past that have won. It's all very Hollywood centric. And so they needed Parasite for this one. That's what I think anyway. Yeah, like you know, I there was a lot of backlash with Parasite winning from a lot of uh, I'll just say it a lot of a lot of a lot of white supremacists really hated <laughs> Donald Trump. That uh, that that parasite mm -hmm. won. I, I I will say that if you look at the other nominees, the one people really thought was going to win was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I just feel like okay, I would. Nineteen Seventeen was good too. Yeah, you know, it's 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 a war movie. I tend not to watch, you know, war movies. There's just been so many. So I, I hear the cinematography on that one was really good. I haven't seen Nineteen Seventeen, so I I won't say um too too much about it. But the, the, the one I did see that most people thought going into the night was going to win. And, and, and I think you are right, Jennifer. A lot of people also thought 1917 would win. But um, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, even though it was kind of quote unquote Oscar bait, which to me, there's like a few genres that win. There's biopics. There's um, war movies, specifically World War II. Um, and then there's also the genre movie movies of like movie makers making movies about making movies that wins a lot. It really, if, if you go back in the history, they love self congratulating themselves about how, you know, epic it is to make movies. But I actually think despite all that, I feel like people actually got a conscience because if you actually watch once upon a time in Hollywood, it is honestly one of the worst movies of all time. Like I was just like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> Ooh, I was like, very Holy I've heard shit. A lot of bad things about it. No, and uh, I love Tarantino, and I was still like, this dude just phoned it in. Like, this is the shittiest thing. <laughs> so I feel like part of it was even if it was half decent, it probably would have won. But I feel like the alternative was just, they were just like, oh, we'd rather an American movie win, but the one competing is just so horrible i cannot put this down on the ballot and i do think that is part of it that shit was horrible but so back to parasite so my view on parasite was you know i i definitely loved it same as leonard i didn't know anything going in i actually thought it was a horror movie as well and it was so intricate 
And what I'll focus on is the characters, because for me, I'm very character driven as far as movies go um, or other types of narrative. You know, I always feel like if the characters are interesting, then they can encompass, you know, different situations that then make the situations interesting. And of all the characters, it, it, this is kind of weird. Um, the one that I related to the most was actually um, was actually the the. Um, the uh, daughter, so the 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 sister of the main character, and I was just trying to think. I was like, maybe it's because so in my life, my my best friend growing up was was my sister. So there was just something about her character that was so intriguing that you know, there's so many characters, it's so complex that I felt like I kind of my brain needed to grasp onto one POV, and it was hers. I just found it so interesting. She started off so kind of innocent and then but when she like flips it on i was like okay this girl got skills and she just <laughs> really knew how to work her way around everything she's so quick on her feet um and i loved that they didn't demonize poor people even though they were committing a crime they demonized everybody it was and that's kind of my world view that everybody's kind of awful so i was like okay there's no black there's no white there's just red bloody red because everybody's hands are bloody and i loved it um I really liked how it uh, how it depicted how easy it would be to sell fake products to rich people. Mm. You know, because it's it you know it, it happens a lot. You got raw water, you got crystals. <laughs> it's very easy. Oh man, I just like this this little our, our panel is basically like each section of there. It's just got we got Asians in basements. We got, <laughs> <laughs> we got a rich girl in a cottage. <laughs> a whole just real encapsulation of, of what's going on mm. <laughs> and so uh, one thing i wanted to talk about in relation to parasite is you know it, it, it's sort of the crowning achievement of the rise in recent years of korean cinema you know when when i was young basically korean cinema wasn't a thing we watched a lot of thai movies a lot of Chinese movies, a lot of Japanese movies. Korea was just nowhere to be found. And then it started for me with this one viral hit before the internet called My Sassy Girlfriend. It just took over like the Asian ghetto in Winnipeg. Everyone was like, this is crazy. And then people just started watching more and more. And so the question I want to ask um, for people here is like, for the panelists is, why do you think this was the movie to break through? There's been lots of really brilliant movies. Is it just the time we're living in? Was it the movie was just that good and it was undeniable? Or sort of why was this the movie of all the thousands and thousands of foreign language films in the history of the world that this is the one that finally broke through? I personally think it's, A, it's beautifully directed, it's well-written, all that stuff is amazingly acted. But again... When it comes to movies, the things that really stand out, that define a movie that everybody remembers is the theme. And the theme is class. The theme is income inequality. The theme is, it's, you know, it's an upstairs, downstairs, downstairs uh, sort of movie, right? So, <laughs> uh, so you it's know, like, and that is bottom. very, very... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, automatic. Yeah. <laughs> But it's just incredibly relevant to one of the, the things, to, to one of the, the, the biggest problems that are affecting 
that's affecting society right now. So, and it's just a brilliant way to just kind of examine that in a, and, you know, put in a very suspenseful, uh, but funny, really funny movie, you know, like, yeah. so yeah, it's just all around all those things together. But I think like primarily theme, cause there's obviously other, you know, stuff like, you know, Downton Abbey, love it, ain't winning yeah. an Oscar, right? So it's, it's just really about how it was packaged. Yeah, it was Downton Abbey meets Catch Me If You Can. <laughs> With an yeah. Asian twist. Yeah, you can really see why Parasite won the lineup. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I mean, Jojo Rabbit was great too, but like Parasite. Oh, yeah, was... yeah. Oh, I forgot about Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, that was good too. Yeah, I know, but we've had so many German movies. No, I'm joking. I mean, we've had Inglorious Bastards. We've had, what else was there? It wasn't that recent. Basically, every Oscar winner for, you know, the past yeah, like, 50 years. Do we years. really have to pay homage <laughs> to the Nazis? They, they love a Nazi. Again and again. They're villains. Stop. Stop giving them so much attention. Just like CNN. Stop putting Trump on the cover of your freaking news website every day. Anyways, I'm sorry. I'm just like, I, I do like the, like the war movies are great. Um, for Parasite, I think, I think it won because honestly, K-pop has never been as popular, right? It's been mm -hmm. gaining momentum in television shows. We have BTS just... to thank. We have what? BTS. We have BTS to thank. BTS, exactly. So it, it's a time when everyone's just, I don't know, for lack of a better word, more woke. We're realizing there are so many great films out there produced by foreign directors. And why should we be limited by having to read subtitles? Like I read subtitles for English shows anyway, because I don't want to miss a thing. So it's no big deal, you know, to watch a movie with I subtitles. Had a and... I had a white friend who actually, she had to watch The Wire with subtitles. <laughs> oh my <laughs> goodness. What I watch Game of Thrones with <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I will say I've been watching subtitles ever since, um, well, my whole life because I was watching foreign films. But for English films, they started subtitles more for a technical reason was when 5.1 surround stereo came, sound engineers decided to take um, vocals and turn it down, but then blast up every other element. So literally for me, it was to be able to even watch a movie and understand what they were saying. It wasn't even like their accent or I couldn't understand them. It's literally the vocal mix is always so low since 5.1 came out in home in home theater systems that it's maddening. Like I just can't hear a thing or I have to survive being blasted by like explosions in my face um, of noise to even hear the smallest um, uh, conversations. So let's give uh, let's give Sebastian the last word here of like, what do you think the, you know, if you could choose one thing about Parasite um, that you think helped it resonate and break through the way it did? Um, currency, like, like how current it is. I'd, I'd say currency, but that also means money. Um, <laughs> topicality? Accurate. Yeah. Yeah. So it it's it's the perfect just, movie just at the word. perfect time. Mm -hmm. and yeah. I as to why I think it uh it spreads like why it won also it like it had its own audience really like it didn't need the Oscars to um 
to make it known. Like it was already well known in, in uh, Western society. Like everyone knew about it already. Yeah. Okay. So thank you everybody for that passionate discussion about Parasite. <laughs> um, we will continue to, to cover, um, to cover entertainment. Um, for our listeners, if you have a, um, if you have a piece of entertainment that was produced or directed or, or, or um, star in Asian talent, um, let us know. You can uh, leave a comment on, I think probably the best place is to leave a comment on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. And um, I read those comments all the time. And also it, 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 it definitely helps us um, as far as um, trending in algorithms. So we'd appreciate it. Other than that, I want to thank our panelists again. And we will be back to you next week with more Asian topics. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.